0: This week on Excelsior Journeys, it is episode 100 of this podcast, and we are celebrating in the best possible way. It is week two of our Transformers the Movie 35th anniversary celebration, and we have voice actors Susan Blue, Greg Berger, Michael Bell, Neil Ross, and the narrator Victor Caroli here to talk about their experiences. JLD, do the honors. Hey, this is Johnny Dumas of the
1: award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to The Excelsior Journeys with George Charoy, prepare to ignite.
0: Welcome to this very special Excelsior Journeys miniseries, celebrating the 35th anniversary of Transformers the Movie. Every Tuesday in August, you will hear from various casting crew members and other special guests, discussing the development, the voices, the music, the aftermath, and the film's legacy. So get ready to go beyond good, beyond evil, beyond your wildest imagination. Till all are one and ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Saroy. Thank you so much for being here. This is it. We are at episode 100. And as I'm recording this, it is August 8th, 2021, There are so many different milestones that are right right here on this one day because this is also the exact day 35 years ago that Transformers the movie was released in theaters. And for part two of this 35th anniversary celebration, it is only right that I have with me several of the voices that were responsible for so much of our memories. Who knew that uh, when I was watching this movie on august 23rd 1986 that i would be talking with so many people that are involved in this and it has been a real dream come true to have this opportunity and i just want to say thank you to all of you for listening to this show for enjoying it for sharing it for your comments for your likes for noting which ones are your favorite episodes Please keep them coming. I really, really appreciate it. If you would like to share it, please do. It's at he's got it.com slash podcasts. And I have with me a panel of voices from Transforms the Movie. We are going to start with my upper left here with Susan Blue.
2: Hey, guys.
0: Greg. Hi, Sue. Hi, hi. And uh, right below Susan, I see Victor Caroli, the narrator. Victor, how are you, sir?
3: Hi guys, I did all the narration on stuff and it was very very nice to meet all these people for the first time after 40 years. <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm enjoying this greatly.
0: And right below me, I have the voice of Grimlock, Greg Berger. I'm doing good. Happy to join
4: you. Happy to be uh, back in the presence of uh, a lot of my homies from back in the day. And I think the evidence that we did something important, meaningful, and and long-lasting is the fact that we're celebrating a 35th anniversary today. Happy to be with you. Happy to be asked. Happy to be part of this entire venture.
0: And thank you, Greg, for being here. And to... Greg's right. I see Michael Bell, one of our two returning champions from the show. Mike was also the, the voice of Swoop, the second Dinobot that I have on, on here, as well as Scrapper and Prowl. Mike, how are you, sir?
1: Great. You you, you can't get COVID from Zoom, can you? No, <laughs> I, should, I hope not.
0: <laughs> you can't get shingles.
4: So. I died
1: as Prowl. I don't want to die as Michael Bell.
5: No. <laughs> okay. It's the,
4: dig, the digital variant.
5: Oh, okay. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> you think the Delta was bad. Wait till you get oh. the digital.
0: I want to ask how you get that. <laughs> and right above Mike, I see Neil Ross, another returning champion and our third Dinobot in the group, who is also the voice of Slag, as well as Hook, Bone Crusher, and, of course, Springer. Neil, how are you, sir?
5: I'm I'm delicious. thanks for asking, and it's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Pleasure to be here, and as we were discussing before we went live, I still remain amazed that we do these kinds of things based on that thir- movie 35 years ago. Which, if you'd asked me at the time, I would have said this is going right into the the uh, the, the discount bin at uh, at Mark. Blockbuster. But <laughs> yeah. but who knew? You know,
3: yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, I said 40 years ago. I didn't mean that. It was 35. You're right.
5: It feels all like- I want to hear out of you is, we'll be back hey, after are, these messages.
3: <laughs> we'll
0: be right back.
3: Oh, <laughs> my Woo-hoo! heart. Oh,
5: I've, I've never oh, this, forgotten that.
0: Oh, this is great. Okay, so, and and also, well, it's also great to kind of touch back a little bit on where this all started, really. Because now, Sue, you came in as R.C. in the movie. Did you have any were you involved at all with the with the series beforehand? No,
2: I did. I, I was involved after the movie. After we did the movie, I did the series for a number of years.
5: Mm-hmm. OK, they actually, the movie introduced a bunch of new characters. Yes. Uh, R.C. being one of them. hmm. And in, in most cases, they gave them to celebrities. And then the idea was the celebrities would be replaced with us plain rap folks for the TV series, henceforth. Mm-hmm. But I guess- a couple of us lucked out. Sue got that part and I got Springer. Yeah. which really could have gone to a celebrity. And why it didn't, I don't know. But I'm endlessly grateful that they let me have that.
3: Hey, mine would have gone to James Earl Jones or yeah. Morgan Freeman. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah.
2: It was so really packed. like that. It was so packed with celebrities that I think Neil. When it came down to us, Hasbro, they were probably so tired of negotiating with celebrities, they said, "Yeah, get Sue Blue and Neil Ross."
0: There you uh,
5: go. Cheaper, whatever the reason was, I'll yes, be endlessly I'm grateful, very grateful. it's
2: been it,
0: the it, other
5: two characters like, or three characters I had had, had one and a half lines each. <laughs>
0: But, but also Slag had like had the uh, fun little argument with Grimlock and obviously he had the excuse me line, which got a lot of laughs from when he's stepping on a Quintesson. That's always fun. And with, with that in mind, Victor, you're the first voice that we hear from the original show. And yeah. we also hear him in the movie, like as soon as the credits go. And you also did some additional narration for the internet. Apparently,
3: I, I, I see things when I Google my name. Mm-hmm. I see all this. First time I ever Googled my name, like, I thought I'd find some uh, arcane Italian astrophysicist somewhere in, you know, <laughs> Milan. And all this stuff came up from Transformers. I thought, wow, what is this? But I actually began with Hasbro with the toys. Right. That's right. That was my first introduction. They had a, a big audition for, uh, in New York for the toys. Mm-hmm. And they picked me. And I started doing the toy commercials. And then... When the movie came up, they said, "Would you be willing to narrate the movie?" I said, "Well, yeah, sure. Well, I'll narrate the movie." Right. So I narrated the movie, mm-hmm. and then the cartoon show, and da, 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 and on and on and on. Yeah. So I did the 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 bulk of the of the of the uh, commercials for the toys. I didn't do all of them, but I did most of them. And then the movie came along, and so I said, "Sure, I'll do that." So I I just kind of became embedded into the. Uh, into the Transformers mystique, I guess you'd call it, we're all absolutely. I, of. I would love as, to add
4: yeah. a comment to that. Yeah, uh, Victor, who this morning introduced yourself as narrator, narrated this, that you said the words. You didn't just say the words. You you absolutely are branded to this franchise. You are you are part of the glue, the same way we are part of the glue. It has well, a look. You. It has yeah. a look. It has a sound and your efforts on behalf of the franchise are seamless, smooth as silk, but they're also so identifiably you that it makes you as much a part of the ensemble as any other part of
3: the ensemble. Wow, thank you very much, Greg. It's very kind of you to say that. highly, Uh, highly agree with that, yes. (laughs) Unfortunately, the the day of the signature voice, which (laughs) we used to call it in those days, is is over in voiceover. (laughs) yeah it is with the guy next door but that's okay because i'm, I'm 110 now so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much retired i don't i don't, I don't really do any, any any work anymore unless somebody just calls and makes me an offer i can't refuse because now the big the big ballsy signature voice is just not it's just not in, in style anymore but that's, that's very great, funny. man because I, I always felt i felt part of of the group, even though I I never saw any of you, I never met any of you until this this very moment. But I always felt that that I was part of the thing when I would. Of course, I obviously didn't watch the cartoon shows because I was I was older. <laughs> it was yeah. something that I would watch. But I, every once in a while, I would just kind of check it out just to see how I how I was doing, and it, it did seem to it did seem to fit in. But like Neil said, this thing has become. Something bigger than ourselves. Here we are, thirty-five years later. Yeah, and people know who we are. Mm-hmm. Well,
4: to add to that, the the attendance at uh, Comic Cons, literally all over the world, where people come to say thank you, but also allow us to say thank you to them. It, it it's it's evolved in in a very unique and and individual way. It it's almost as though this is one of those virtual realities in life that has such such enormous loyal and also understanding fandom that it's been allowed to do twists <clears> and turns along the way, and it and it keeps coming back and it and keeps I, being embraced. That's a pretty big deal in a world of conveniences that you use and throw away.
3: I actually get on very occasionally, once maybe you know, once a year, once every two years. I will get a snail mail fan letter from some guy who's like 51 years old, who wants 45. a signed. So are our target <laughs> 45, 45, 40. 45 50. <laughs> uh, and, and he wants a signed picture. And one guy actually sent me uh, a request with $15 in the envelope for a signed picture. I sent him the signed picture and I sent him the $15 back. And I was supposed to come to- <laughs> Nicely done. Uh, I was supposed to come to the, the last Transformer, cop, the t the Transformers comp thing. And of course, COVID put the kibosh on that. And uh, I forget who it was. I forget that the gentleman's name who was in charge of that, who called me. And he said, well, how much would you charge for an autograph? And I said, well, nothing. I wouldn't charge for an autograph. He said, "Well, a lot of the guys. Well, okay, you know, whatever they want to do, it's, that's up to them. That's well, I'm certainly not going to put them down for it. But I'm just very flattered that anybody would want my autograph, and mm-hmm. so that's just sort of the way I feel about it. I agree. they they just if they feel that way about me and my work, then mm-hmm. the least I owe them is to sign a picture for them. I just think that, that that's, that's great. It is. But it, it just shows what what this with this uh, this project, with this whatever you call it, this uh, phenomenon really? Like Thank you. Yes, yeah. phenomenon is yeah. uh, after all these years that people still know who we are, mm-hmm. and it's just mind blowing.
0: Yeah, and so so with that in mind, like every, everyone's had you know varying experience with the with the series going from those first couple of seasons, but then the script for the movie comes out. Now I'm curious to get because everyone has as differing I want to I don't want to say like experience, but at least like differing situations with their characters. So I'm curious to know like what what everyone was thinking when they were going through the script itself. Mike, can we start with you?
1: Yeah first I'm glad to meet Victor because I I didn't know he was the narrator. I always thought it was Buddy Hackett. Uh, As far as the script is concerned, I, I, boy, I, I looked at it, saw that Prowl died and that's, I figured, well, I got something in there. I mean, I didn't, I didn't read it to the fullest cause I know that those things change when you get on set. And, and I really didn't know who was going to be playing other than our our usual team of, of greats who were going to be doing it. I didn't know there would be other people involved. I wasn't aware we'd be doing it by ourselves. So I, I didn't have much feeling about it. I, I, I have a hard time reading the Transformers scripts because there's so there's so much going on there's there's so much stuff happening that I finally after about I got to the middle of it and I just put it down and said okay whatever it's going to be it's going to be and I'll be part of it again like the rest of the guys I never thought of the future it was the job it yeah something else. That's what I tell people. It was
3: just a job. Yeah. It's what it we did just, for a living. Yeah.
1: You know? I mean everybody seems to think, wow, you must have said, wow, this is gonna be a huge smack no. I never think like that. Had I thought like that, then then I I probably would have been much more intent on my contract when I did Star Wars. So uh, I just And like, I would
3: have been much more careful about my baseball cards.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and
1: my Eisenhower jacket. I would have <laughs>
5: My memory of the script being handed out and people perusing it, and, of course, every actor counts his lines. Anybody who says they don't is lying. (laughs) The Pat Fraley uh, School of Script Analysis. All right, let's see. Bullshit, bullshit. Oh, my line. Bullshit, bullshit. My line. (laughs) Anyway, all all I heard was, I don't have any lines. And then a couple of seconds later, my character dies. What the hell is this? (laughs) And it, it kind of went like that. I think that there was a, f- a fair amount of disappointment. Uh, the rest of you might disagree with me, but that I recall people being rather dismayed by the script. Yeah.
4: yeah. Well, I, oh, sorry, go ahead.
2: I remember when I was reading the script and I, that I was the only woman in the show. And I just went, there's just not enough work for women. In, <laughs> I mean, it's opened up tremendously now and everything, but as far as the movie went, it, it, there was so much action. And I think a lot of people will, get, will kind of underline their lines and not know what's happening in the other part of the scripts. I, I think all of us tried to read the whole script, but like Michael said, it's difficult. It was difficult. I remember during the TV show after the movie, Wally Burr would go through the storyboard and we would have rehearsals at the table before he'd start recording. He would bring us all in. Do you remember that, Greg, of course. Michael? Of course we
5: and remember. Going,
2: <laughs> it, literally the storyboard was just huge. And there was the action and the write-ins and the huh, 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 were just the, a, a a multichasm of sounds. Don't say anything, Michael.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, it would just be, and of course Wally wanted to hear it a very certain way and we would <laughs> and <laughs> a thousand times. Uh, bless him and God bless him for this job that I got. I really have to thank Wally Burr. And, but my God, very hard to decipher because they, the impact sounds were never written in. He mm. would write them in as he went through the storyboard and, and, and told us. But well, I what? do remember going, man, there's a lot of male characters in this. Am I lucky that I got this? Because R.C. is the only female in the whole movie.
0: Yep.
5: Yeah. Unfortunately, as you say, the situation has improved. It's still not perfect. But back in those days, it was just brutal. They'd cast a show. It was six guys and maybe one woman.
6: Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. So and, I was the guy, and the
5: guys comedy. were all white.
1: And they yeah, wanted the oh, woman yeah. to sound like a man. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I remember him directing Sue Silo and something in another show he did. And she kept on doing the line and doing the line. And he said, make it bigger. Make it stronger. And I said, any, and I he said, Wally, any stronger, She's going to leave blood on the window. This is a woman.
6: <laughs> this is a girl,
1: okay? It's strong. It's done. She did it. Enough. He went, oh, oh okay. Is that okay, Sue? She said, thank you, Michael. Yeah, that's fine, Wally. I <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. hey, oh, you didn't.
2: No, she sounded like that.
1: Yeah, right. But so by that time, <laughs> after she was screaming and yelling, it was, oh, wow.
2: Oh, my God. Unbelievable, wasn't it? it was Absolutely.
6: Un- unbel-
5: well, hey, Wally oh, was starting oh, into what I, his body English period. He called it body English, which it isn't body English is when you roll a bowling ball and then you stand there sticking your pelvis out, trying to make the ball go where you want it to go, even though it's (laughs) all the way down. Anyway, that's body English. But he wanted a, a grunt for any kind of physical action. Give me a little body English as you pull the sword. And I remember after one of these sessions, it wasn't Transformers, it was something else. But Peter Collins said, When I get uh, finished with one of these Wally Burr sessions, I go out to the car and I open the door and I put the key in the ignition and I
0: start the car and drive away. You know? <laughs> so for for the for the listeners real quick Wally Burr was such an integral part of not only the success for for the show and also like all the other Sunbow shows that were out there but he was also a big reason why this movie indoors because the Wally was the voice director he was the one that was basically like coaching everyone and he was Mike I think you mentioned something in the in our Previous episode where you talked a little bit about a Wally working with Orson Welles.
1: Yes, I, I mentioned and it's become this story is now you know so long and whatever. But I wanted to go on the set when he was working with Orson. He said, "No, we can't have anybody on there except the engineers." I said, "I'll pose as an engineer. I've acted as so many characters. I can act engineer. I can make it sound like I'm." part. He said, "No." I said, "But let me just want to be." He said, "No." So then I had heard from somebody who was there, one of the engineers, and got to talking about it. And he said, uh, at one point, Wally gave Orson Welles a line reading.
3: Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Is that man
1: still alive? <laughs> and, and he said, and he said no, no, Orson if you could just... You know, and he went, Wally, I can't do Orson Welles. I these guys can't. He and he said, Wally, are you giving me a line reading? And he said, and he, Wally caught him. He said, no, no, of course not. No, of course not. No, 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 I'm just... Just a suggestion. Anyway, you back down from it. And then not too long after, I mean, a little bit time after Orson Wells passed away. And I told everybody that it was Wally Bird that killed Orson Wells. Jeez. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well you told Wally that once.
1: <laughs> I right, did. Yeah. And he got, he got very upset. He
5: said, What? He took it he took it, he took it for, for truth. And I said, Well, he, you can started... line reading he's gonna die he started making michael do the same line over and over and over again for no apparent reason <laughs> finally michael <laughs> lost patience and he said listen don't start up with me wally everybody knows you're the man who killed orson well <laughs> and wally is looking through the glass like really
3: <laughs> i found a way i found a way to handle the guys that uh, whatever kind of job you're doing the guys that insist on giving you line readings there's one guy I forget what, the, what the, it was, some kind of commercial, and he wanted to give me a line reading. And I said, Do um, you mind if I give you a line reading? I said, Okay, I'm on condition. He said, What? I said, You've got to come in here and read it into the microphone
5: and record mm-hmm.
3: it. And he mm. kind of looked around. He said, Well, why? I said, Because you're going to give me a line reading and I'm going to read it exactly the way. That you give it to me now, obviously with my voice instead of yours but with what all the ups down but with exactly the cadence everything that you give me and you're going to say no that's not what i meant because mm-hmm. it never is Because mm-hmm. what they hear in their head is not what that comes out of their mouths that's what that's what we get paid to do yeah because we can do that and he said well uh well uh, well uh, I, uh, well i said that's the only condition and then mm-hmm. he just backed down because he knew that if he came in there and it got recorded and he played it back, can he the engineer played it back? That it would sound like crap. <laughs> <And>
6: <laughs>
3: so that guy I don't think ever, ever, ever gave a voice person a Didn't Wally a some
1: parts in, in this didn't uh, as, wasn't
2: Wally I think doing so. I think he did, Michael.
3: I'm sorry.
1: Wally I, think I did some
4: roles in He did. He definitely oh, did.
2: And
1: uh, and also yeah. and Joe, he also he did some rules, is that right?
5: Yeah, he would he would do them after we all left. He would do them in
3: private. <laughs> see
5: now I remember he made the mistake of doing it in front of us once. And I don't know if he was doing it on purpose to mess with him or not, but Don Jurwich kept while well, he would say, Two of you go around the back, the rest of you come with me. I think that was the way the line should be read. Right. No, Wally, not, no, do it again. Anna, <laughs> and after about five takes, Wally said, Well, I don't want to keep these actors waiting. I'll do it after the session. And yeah. we're all going, No, go ahead, be our guest. <laughs> you know, we're, this is highly entertaining. No, 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 I'll do it after this. <laughs> <laughs> I never <laughs> made that mistake again. <laughs> Did
1: that, everybody knows that, that Don passed away recently.
0: Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, re- recently. That's no. so sad. Mm. Oh yeah, Don, Don Jer, Jerwich for uh, the listeners was the um, co-producer and director of GI Joe the movie, which is celebrating its 35th anniversary next year. Unreal. So that's and there were a lot of, uh, from what I understand, there were uh, the the stories are there were some production delays that held up GI Joe the movie from release. That was supposed to be first after My Little Pony the movie, and then and then because of those delays, Hasbro looked at how Duke was being handled and said, "Hey, let's do that with Optimus Prime." And then they kind of upped the ante a little bit by saying these these 84 characters that were going to be discontinued, go ahead and kill them. And this this I got confirmation of this from both Ron Freeman and Flint Dilly last week that they said that they were given the directive from Hasbro not to just write them out or reduce their screen time, but kill them. Kill them. And boy, like I mean, fans, fans very, very, very succinctly remember seeing Prowl die and it would have been great to hear have heard him a few times during the movie before that but man he made an impact when when he was when he was gunned down i guess my doctor- i did
4: i did want to weigh in on the feature because i hadn't yet when i when i read a feature script this is just me as a fan but i want to know that it inflates to something that wants to be told on the big screen not the small screen yeah and i felt it had all that and, and I also, I can, I can still get starstruck pretty easy, but in those days, forget about it. As rumors started to come out about who was going to be playing with us, I, I, was, I was sort of beyond happy and, and very excited at the opportunity to, to work and colleague with people that I, I was very taken with as a fan. So there was that. I mean, you can't let that show. You're there tasked with the work that you're there to do. But somewhere in the back of your mind, you think that's Leonard Nimoy. That's Leonard Nimoy. Anyway, as to Flint and Ron, what I do know about about the and the other thing that's jarring as you page through the script for the first time is that uh, characters are actually disappearing. Characters are not surviving the feature film. Mm -hmm. And Flint in particular told me that he literally couldn't get the door to his office open because the fandom was so loyal and so vocal and so ready to write about anything that, that his, his office was, there was no room for the office. It was so filled with mail and opinions about who, who didn't survive the, the feature. So much so that some changes were made after the fact. Wow.
5: Well, I've had fans tell me on more than one occasion, I'm sure it's happened to you, Greg, and <clears throat> Michael as well that the death of optimus prime was one of the most traumatic things traumatic. that had happened in their lives oh, yeah. up to that point yeah we're talking about 10 11 12 year old kids and it's uh, i mean they never got over it and mm-hmm. that, that was a big part of the reason yeah. that the film really did not do that well in its initial release. And that is why the G.I. Joe movie never was released as a movie. It was turned into a miniseries. They took such a bath on the movie. Now, the interesting thing is the years rolled on. Video cassettes came along, DVDs. The fans grew older and began to look at the movie again and see it through older, more experienced eyes. Mm -hmm. And it's turned into this almost iconic thing. But when it was initially released, you know, I'm gonna spin yeah.
4: that slightly positively because of what they learned. They mm-hmm. learned that they had this enormous fan base that wanted to weigh in about anything that they considered outside their can, outside, outside mm-hmm. of what, what they were craving. Yeah. And so I think, positively, mm-hmm. that, that all the powers that be became more receptive to fandom's voice in the evolution of, of the franchise.
0: Yeah, if I can just chime in real quickly on that, as, as the fan, I was actually kind of, I don't want to say, like, I, I was kind of eased into it by Victor, by, by, by your narration <laughs> about, uh, with the commercial for Transformers the movie, the main thing that they were were pushing was the final battle between Optimus Prime and Megatron, and then the words, does Prime die? While, while showing the shot of Megatron just shooting Optimus to, to the ground. And so it got to a point where it's just like, okay, so I guess he's going to die. Because the words right after that was, then who will lead the Autobots? It was like, okay, he's gonna die. Okay. And then and then as the commercial ended, what's the what's the thing that I most remember from that? Rated PG. And that's when I knew that, like, this is gonna be something special. I need I need to be there for that. And my uncle called my father on the day that it came out and said, don't take George to go see Transformers, the movie, I'm gonna take him to it. So I had to wait another two weeks, but thankfully it was still there. Like, like Neil said, the movie did not do well in its initial release. It got swallowed up by summer of 86. That was a huge, huge year of summer for movies. And, and it became a summer for cult classics. Because you have Transformers the movie, you also have movies like Big Trouble in Little China, which did not do well and also found its found its audience in home video. And so I'm I'm curious to see like now the setup from what I understand was different than what was than what was there in the in the series. Because in the series you you were all able to be crammed in one studio, but there was a different studio for the movie, correct? Oh correct. absolutely. Oh and Wall- it was Wall- north. It was a closet. Yeah.
5: Yeah, Wally had two studios. They were within, you could almost throw a stone between the two of them. One of them was quite large and and nice and a great place to work. And the other was kind of cramped. And guess which one we did the series in? Not the nice one. I never could figure that one out.
2: The one we did the movie in was almost like a similar to a soundstage. Oh, yeah. so, yeah. It was really big. It's funny because my RC, of course, had a bit of a relationship with Hot Rod, mm-hmm. who was played by Judd, John, Nelson. Judd Nelson. Judd Nelson, yeah. And cut to years later, I'm working with Judd. And so I told him, I said, I, I'm RC. When you when you were hot rod, and I think he was Rodimus. Uh, yeah. in the movie Rodimus mm-hmm. Prime.
0: Rodimus Prime, Prime yeah, yep. Well,
2: yeah, and he was so excited, and he just said, "Why do you why, why did we record separately? That was so weird." I said, "It really was because when we did the show, it wasn't like that." Yeah, um, and it's actually it really. Much better to record in a room together because you can add things, not add lines or anything like that, but you really hear what somebody is saying and you can.
5: Well, there's chemistry between actors and you don't get that if you do them separately. Before we move on, I have to ask you, Sue, I don't know if you do a lot of conventions, but I do a fair number. And there was also quite a bit of flirtation between Springer and R.C.
6: Oh, Oh, yeah.
5: And I have fans who who very delicately inquire as to whether that relationship ever
4: (laughs) consummated. How do we we say
5: resolved? (laughs) itself? And I I always sort of sidestep it. But I think, what do you want me to say? (laughs) Yes.
2: (laughs) yeah I, I think had a tin I think, can I think I think when she was turning into the car that the mechanism stuck
5: okay'll <laughs> I'll go with that <laughs> I always say a gentle robot does not uh, kiss and tell and I let <laughs> it go that. with that. that, that yeah. <laughs>
0: There, there were definitely fleeting moments, especially during the third season where, it, the, where the focus was definitely more shifted on RC and Springer than does Rodimus had his own had his own issues and mm. quite a few like, during during that third season, which is something I really enjoyed about that character. I thought it was it was fun getting to see this young leader really kind of get his get out, get realize how big of a shadow he's he's stuck in. And unfortunately they kind of did the Conan O'Brien treatment with, with him at the end of that third season, just said like, Oh, let's bring Optimus back. And with Optimus playing Jay Leno. Huh. So what, what I'm so Sue, like, so you didn't do any sort of recording or anything with, with Judd or anyone else?
2: No, I did all my lines separately for the movie.
0: Wow. Does it, oh. it, it sounded very good. Like it sounded real, like.
2: It sounded good though. didn't. Yeah.
5: Yeah, the I the did back a couple of, you guys were doing were very good. I did a couple of sessions with Judd Nelson and Lionel Stander. Were you were there too, Greg? Absolutely. Yeah. The yeah. the
4: octopus mike and he wanted yeah. everybody playing off each other. Which which you were talking about it before, but there, there there's there's a contagiousness of intensity if it's Transformers or silliness <laughs> if it's Smurfs. We like to play in the same sandbox things happen. <clears throat>
3: You suddenly find yourself reading a line in a way that it comes out of your mouth in a way that you hadn't expected it to because of the way the other person
0: delivered the line to you. Now, Neil, you you had, I'm I'm sorry. sorry, Wally Burr
2: really was a participant in, in making the four hour sessions happen. Because the sessions would really be long. And then (laughs) after that, and there was an animation contract, all the sessions became, you could go more than four hours. So you had to do the 30-minute show in four hours. But doing the movie, we were in and out pretty fast.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Now, Neil, does
2: anybody agree? Did I ruin the
0: no. room? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> well, yeah. So what? What was? So what was everyone's? What was everyone's feeling like? Just kind of being in that whole other studio because, like you said, it's so different than what you guys were used to. But but here you are working on this now. They were saying that the the big thing that they kept on hyping with the movie, they kept saying two years in the making. Now, obviously, they. The animation was so much more detailed, and it looked fantastic, by the way. And then, with every all the other extra elements that were playing into it, it was taking, from what I understand, it was go, it was being put together while the second season was still in production. Correct? I'm not sure.
5: Yeah, I that. Was
1: that's two, a... I think it was two years in the making because Neil demanded a lot of retakes. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, I wanted to get it right, Michael. I know, you know. I know some of you guys just come in and throw out a couple of lines, but I like to really nail it down.
2: You like it's to fun. massage it.
5: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all my fault. No, I was, gonna, I was going to say, with Wally, it, it, it wasn't actually two years; it just seemed like it. <laughs> 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 you
2: know. good, didn't it?
5: This is uh, a real ten. Tangent,
4: but my most prominent memory of the production days was that day that Orson arrived to do Unicron, and I didn't pretend to be an engineer, I didn't get in the studio, there was no way into the studio, but the way Wally Burr was set up with a north and south building, Mm -hmm. we were upstairs in, it must have been Wally Burr north, and we had we were like from from the movie of your choice but we had the, we had the venetian blinds open just so we could see out but not get busted for for <laughs> gawking at everything
6: and
4: and and the limousine pulls up we knew it was approximately the time and the back door of the limousine opens and we get all excited and then somebody being of service reaches in the back seat of the limousine and pulls out a wheelchair the limo had been sent for apparently the wheelchair. Then an older Buick Riviera, if I know my cars, pulls up and Orson had a companion who was driving, came around, opened the passenger door and or- Orson got out of the old Buick Riviera. And then they seated him in the wheelchair for which they had sent the limousine for. Wow. So, so, so there was nothing traditional about the way this was going to go down. And then stories that I heard were... were That Orson said in this business, there's my problem, your problem, and their problems, and I will never let their problems or your problems become my problem. Urban legend, legend, maybe, but I I did hear that after
3: the fact. Well, I know there there were some takes that I heard, not takes, but some clips that I heard where Orson was practically unintelligible. It it was just... wonderful sound but you it was really really difficult to understand him i don't know why if if he was ill or on something i really don't know but well one one convention
5: that i attended and i can't remember the chap's name but he went into a long thing about how at that stage of his life wells had basically lost his resonance and he was all breath. Wow. And they were expecting See, to resonance. hear the Orson Wells that they knew he was all about, old, resonance. And instead they were getting this sort of thing. <laughs> and he went said they did all sorts of electronic tweaking and, and fooling around to to make the to make him intelligible.
4: Well, the finished result is so imposing, compelling, yeah, oh, yeah. and yeah. Oh, yeah. and awesome.
2: Yeah, they whatever they
0: fixed it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember uh, Nelson Nelson Shin was saying in in one of the special. That's pictures, the guy.
5: That's yeah. the guy who told the story. Yeah.
0: yeah, he's and how he was how he heard that and and he was really just taken aback by it. It's like oh no, it's like what do we what do <laughs> we do? And he did exactly what what you guys were saying. How like they added one thing and then it added another thing, and there was this urban legend that Leonard Nimoy actually finished Or Orson's lines, but that has been from what I understand that's been disproven. Like that's not the case. Oh. I, don't know. I wonder
3: how I heard that—that that the the unintelligible
0: part, because I was not there. I, I think it was. There. I think somebody put it on YouTube.
3: You know, yeah, I, it might have been on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. that must be who I
0: heard. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, but at the same time, you still have that kind of performance. You still have that. Well,
3: you knew you you yeah. heard this amazing sound. I mean, the man had arguably the greatest voice in the history of radio and television.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Uh, the man was a genius. There's no question about it. Yeah. But, but it, 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 you couldn't understand. I guess it was you too. It must have been.
0: Yeah. yeah. And then just.
2: Was the director. Nelson Chin was the director on the movie. Correct. Wasn't
0: yeah. It? Yeah. And, but yeah, just you would still hear that, that power. Excelsior Journeys will return after this brief message about the Hole in the Wall Gang Camp. Founded in 1988 by Paul Newman. The the Hole-in-the-Wall gang camp provides a different kind of healing to more than 20,000 seriously ill children and family members annually, all completely free of charge. For many of these children and families, Hole-in-the-Wall provides multiple camp experiences throughout the year at the facility in Ashford, Connecticut, in more than 40 hospitals and clinics, directly in camper homes and communities, and through other outreach activities across the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. I'm going to have this link available so you can go ahead and click on the button there and donate just as I am this month. All you have to do is go to holeinthewallgang.org. Now, Neil, I understand that you were saying before that you had worked with Lionel Stander as well. You have a story that you were so gracious enough to tell us for the first time that you were here. In case listeners haven't heard it, you did a really great thing working with Lionel, correct?
5: Well, I don't know how great it was. I was just, it I was just trying to... It definitely
0: helped him. Yeah.
5: I was just trying to be helpful. Yeah. But Lionel was older than Orson Welles. And he, he had actually appeared in a silent movie when he was a teenager. That's how old he was at that point. Wow. But he was sharp as a tack. Greg, you remember he told his story. Oh, He and... was
4: funny and he was present and he was yeah. so happy and... to be in it. Just part of something.
5: Yeah. And he had these hearing aids, but they seemed to be working fine. But when we get in the studio, somehow he couldn't hear anything Wally said. And I don't know if that was on purpose or what. Collective hearing. Yeah. But we were in in a row, just four people standing side by side, four microphones or five, however many it was. And Lionel would do a line. And Wally went, well, that's the general idea, Lionel. But what I need here is... (laughs) Take two. What did he say? (laughs) (laughs) At one point, I said, do it. Well, he, he said, the Decepticons are coming. Well, that's the idea, Lionel, but I need much more energy. I mean, you're an older guy, and these are younger guys, and you're trying to... What did he say? Do it again, (laughs) louder. The Decepticons are coming. Perfect. All right, moving on. (laughs) But then Lionel would get off mic because he wanted to make eye contact. He wanted to act with us, but we're all in a row. So he would do a line and then he'd go, because he's trying to make eye contact. And, well, that was already, you're off mic. You're off mic. While he's never looked at us. He always looked at the storyboard. So he couldn't see what was happening. So I looked ahead in the script and I realized I only had a couple of lines here and there. So what I would do is I'd run around from behind the microphone and I'd stand in front of Lionel and he acted to me. Then he was fine. He would stay on mic and he, we would make eye contact and he would do his line. And then I'd scurry back behind my mic and do whatever I had to do. And that's how we got through it. But did that
4: with Judd Nelson too. He wanted eyes to look at. He didn't no want to yeah. stare at a yeah. microphone. Yeah. He didn't have to do anything, just give him something to mm-hmm. address humanely and humanly.
1: Mm-hmm. That's uh, so that. Okay. I turn into that in a situation, which is interesting because they had hired, I did a show and they'd hired a, a well-known on-camera actor. And uh, he was opposite me. It was a whole bunch of us voice guys were there. And, and he had, he played the lead. And every time he read, he would turn around to somebody else <laughs> to read. He said, are you sure that's, and he'd come back again. And the director who will be nameless said, I, I could see what she was doing. She was having a lot of problems with him. And, and I knew that he was gonna be doing a lot of retakes. And he was gonna be there long after us, talking to the big producers behind us, behind her. And I, could, and I couldn't say anything, it's not my job to say anything. And then finally he's, I can see flop sweat. I can see that he's having a problem. And we broke for the, to go to the bathroom. And we go to the bathroom and he's standing in the urinal next to me and he's going, I was shit. I was shit, I am shit, I am dying there, I am dying. <laughs> so I said, um, okay, you cannot say anything to the director. I'm gonna give you a real basic on this, okay? And I'll be glad to have you Wheeling, really? he turns around and says, oh, my God, Wheeling. Really? I said, yeah, but first, you're being on my shoe. <laughs> 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 Turn around, face the urinal, and I'll tell you. And he said, what is it? And I said, you you can't look at anybody. You must keep your eyes on the script. And I gave him the whole rundown and, and make sure that you don't make a lot of noise. When you, and you can't, because he was doing it. He was throwing his pages after he finished with them on the floor. <laughs> and there were all these pages lying down. They said, so you have to do a pickup. He's going to have to start trying to put them in order. And I explained it to him. He came back, he was fine. He was good, but it was so hard for him. You could see him wanting to make contact, wanting to look up to talk to the people across the room, to the actor on the mic across the room.
3: Or to it's to- kind of a natural He's thing. Though for, for people that don't, we are all experienced voice actor people. We may have stage experience. I know I'm, I was originally a stage actor. I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of you have also done stage yeah. work. But... A lot of people who have done stage work and television work have never been voice actors. Right. And they don't know what to do in a studio. They go in there and they go, I remember the first time I ever walked into a recording studio. I had no idea what to do. No idea what to do. I, but I didn't know when to start talking. Mm-hmm. I know, I I, on my I guess I should put these headphones I put these. No, actually, that was in the days, because I, I got into business back in the late 60s. And we didn't use headphones in those days. We just didn't. Nobody did. So I walked into the booth and I'm standing in there in this meat locker in, in New York. And uh, actually it was in Chicago. And I didn't know what to do. And I'm just, I'm looking at the glass of people on the other side. I was kind of looking over there. I was just a kid in my 20s. I'm looking, what, what, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And finally, somebody got on the on the button and said, that. "I had the copy. I did have the copy. I've been looking the copy. But I, I, should I start? Should I start talking? Should I start reading? I didn't know about slates or anything, you know, or how far away to stand from the microphone. Or I had no idea because I was just a stage actor. Yeah. So I, I, we have to. I think we have to forgive these people. Some of them, anyway, that have never done voice work because they, it just doesn't occur to them. You know that." This is how it works. Well, I always
5: blame yeah. the uh, the people in charge. They just assume. Well, actors are actors. They all know what to do. <clears throat>
3: mm-hmm. and, yeah, they, they know how it when,
5: when a celebrity comes in and they just gently <clears> inquire, "Have you ever done this sort of work before?" <clears throat> well, no. <clears throat> all right. Well, here are some basic things you need to stay on mic. If another actor is working, do not be rustling the pages of your script. In fact, there's a special way to. Change the pages on the yeah. script, and sure. whenever I'm on the button talking, then you can make noise. Mm-hmm. These are things I mean, if I were to do on camera, if someone should lose their mind and hire me to do on camera, <laughs> I'm sure there are things like that that someone would have to tell me. Me too. It's, yeah. it's yeah. not intuitive, you know. Yeah. And um, but they think, they oh, well, they're celebrities, they sure they must yeah. know what to do.
3: And well, actually, I, I did an on camera way back again in my 20s. And I was supposed to be in a rowboat. Again, here I am, a stage actor. And they hired me to do this thing. I am supposed to be in a rowboat. And the idea of the commercial, it was for insurance, for a bank, rather. And if you can't make your payment this month, don't worry about it. We'll make it for you. So here I am in this rowboat in the middle of the ocean, because I'm on a set. And there are people rocking this thing. And every once in a while, somebody throws a little pail of water in there. And they gave me a shirt and they gave me a couple of props to to, to work with. And they said, you don't say anything. You you remember Hugh Downs? Yeah, sure. Hugh Downs was was the voiceover. He had already done the voiceover. And so I'm in the boat. And the guy said, "Okay, take one. Go ahead. So I'm bailing the water out and I'm trying to hang the shirt up on this mask. I'm doing and Derek says, cut, 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 cut. He came to me and he says, you're a stage actor, aren't you? I said, yeah. He said, because everything you're doing is is great. I love it, but it's all too big. Mm. Here's here's where here's your here's your parameters, right here on the sides, and here's your top. Do everything you're doing. I love it. But do it in this frame. Because I didn't know.
0: I was, so like uh, so, like that frame, that's the balcony. That's that, that's, that's, that's where you're going. That's the screen. Yeah. That's the yeah. screen.
3: That's 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 the area you have to work in. So when you're throwing the bucket out, don't throw it out there, throw it out here. Mm. Okay. And and then and then I got it. It's like you said, you know, you, you you don't you don't know. It's not intuitive. You don't figure, well, I'm, I'm on this small screen, so I can only do this. You have to be told. How to do it, and they have to be told how to do what we do. We, with us, now it's intuitive. We've been doing it for years and years and years and years. We walk into a studio, we know what to do, and, and a lot of them just don't. Yeah. So they just need to be told. Some now, of can don't I, like. To can be I told.
4: throw in a quick, a very quick related but unrelated story? <laughs> uh, sure. 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 When I went, when I went to my first voiceover audition, that had actually been booked by an agent I'd been sent. I was anxious and, and apprehensive, but excited. I walked in the door and I've been thanking him for honestly the rest of my life. There's a, a very prominent voice actor named Jack Angel who was in the room. Mm. Ro- the room was full, the jokes were flying, everybody knew each other, yeah. everything was old home week, except yeah. for me, the newbie, feeling more like an outsider than ever. Mm. And Jack, Jack Angel said, Hey, you're, you're a new guy, right? I said, yeah. He said, come here. So we, he, he stepped in a corner or just outside with me. He said, everybody in here is going to pretend that they know things that you don't know. They're going to, if they can use anything to make you feel less secure about what you're doing, they probably will do it. It's, it's just by rote. It's just something people do. He said, let me tell like William Goldman, he said, he said, let me tell you something. Nobody knows nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Just commit to the copy. Let the results take care of themselves. If you're off mic, they'll put you on mic. Whatever you need to know, you're about to start learning. Yeah. But don't be intimidated by these people that don't even know the damage that, that they can do by sort of trying to up everybody.
3: It's the psychology of the audition. Now, right. Right. Yeah. I would go over and I would take the copy out of the. You know, they had a little thing there with the copy, it. you sign in, and then you take the copy out of the little thing. I would take the copy out of the thing, and I would bring it over and sit down. And I put the copy down, and I put the copy down in the chair next to me. I take up my book and read. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a really good cold reader so uh, i did so i some of the guys are in the, in the back over there, oh, right, so right, so right. and, exactly. the and i just i didn't even look at it <laughs> just put it face down over here and i get off my book and read it so people are thinking shit what he ain't even reading a copy and then as i'm walking into a room I kind of look at it and while i'm chatting with the perfect book, and it, and nice. it was I, it was just a little Tactic that yeah. I learned, and the I'll other one other, that one, other one, other hint, one other hint that I that I learned, and this this was, many so many, people have thanked me for this one. You've done fifteen takes, twenty takes. You've done it right. You've done it right six times. You've done because you know what's right. You've done more commercials than this twenty-two year old idiot has ever seen or written. And you know what's right, so. All these people are out there. So suddenly you say to them, excuse me a second, you just gave me an idea. Can I try something? And they'll go, oh yeah, 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 okay. Take 22, and then you do exactly what you wanna do. And they will, and every time they will say, ah, brilliant, brilliant, thank you so much. That's exactly what we want. But you see, by that, you don't say, I just had an idea. You say, you just gave me an idea. This way, you've included them Absolutely. in the process. They've done their job. They've mm-hmm. given you the idea and all is well. And it works every time.
0: Every now, I time. I have to note that, that we have a voice director in our midst here. So I'm just hoping oh. that you're not giving away like every industry secret here. Which one uh,
3: of you is the voice director? Sue, Sue.
0: now. Uh, Sue. Ah, now, now, well. Now yeah, Sue, but she's also...
3: But she's also a professional voice.
0: Actor. Oh, absolutely! So. Oh, absolutely! But but I I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to bring Sue you know like back into this because I wanted to ask what like since you are now like an accomplished uh, voice director as well with everything that y- that you've done there what has what was what was the experience like working with people like Wally and and others were were they like directly responsible for getting you into into the voice director position?
6: No, I, no,
2: I really wanted to do it. And I begged everybody to let me do it. And everybody said, no, 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 you just keep on doing what you're doing. And, and uh, so I put it out there that I wanted to do it. And, and a guy named Fred Wolf called me. And what happened is everybody in town had turned this job down and they had hired somebody and it didn't, hadn't worked out with this particular director. So he called me and said, okay, you want your shot at this? Everybody else has turned this down. It's a little five-episode series, but (laughs) I'm going to give you a shot, honey, and here's what I'm going to pay you. And I was so excited, and it was a little show called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
6: Oh, my.
2: That was my my first show that I ever directed, and I worked with – Really good friends on it, as that I had acted with for a long, long time, and and I just gave them all the respect I could give them, and never gave a line reading, gave ideas, and I even had I, I was in uh, England directing a show, My Sweet Secret Garden, and I directed Sir da- Derek Jacobi.
6: You know, oh practice. wow! And
2: wow! So I, you know, I I'm working with them, and and I said I will, <clears throat> I will never, I I will never give you a line reading. I promise. I'm like it, it, licking his loafers. And uh, <laughs> at one point during the show, he turned to me. He said, "Will you just give it to me how you want it? Will you mm-hmm. just say it how you want me to do it?" And I did. And he did it? And he said, thank you. And he didn't mind it at all. It wasn't like every, he was having problems with it. And he said, how do you hear it? Mm
6: -hmm. And
2: because he knew I was an actor and he was gracious and great about it. And it was a, that was a wonderful experience. And most of the experiences I've ever had uh, with actors has really been incredible because first of all, I treat actors w- with a tremendous amount of respect. I let them investigate. I, I tell them the action and what's happening and give them the freedom to play in the playground. It's the producers behind me and the executives that give me the problems.
3: Non-creative people, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's my job. I'm a cheerleader in a way also. It's my job to, to when a producer wants to <laughs> hear a line 25 times it's also my job to keep that actor calm and happy and full of energy and wanting to be there so it's it's a it's a big job
4: i'm glad i'm not
2: doing it anymore
4: i would like to endorse that everything that sue just said is absolutely true when sue directs when michael directs actually and when wally directed there's there's a trait that the best directors have. And that's, in my opinion, that they can create enough energy to keep the entire room energetic. I'm sure it's exhausting, but it's a very, very special skill. And if there's those repeated takes, then the goal is to keep the room fresh, the read fresh, everybody fresh. Sue's got the gift. Michael's got the gift. There are directors who, who have that ability to summon enough energy to, to, uh, charge an entire room and that that's uh, a very high form of compliment from me.
0: Now, Ma- now Mike, what, uh, what what would you say like are your tactics as of as a voice director?
1: Well I directed Peter Pan with Jason Marsden and mm-hmm. uh, and 20 kids and uh, Tim Curry, right? And Tim Curry as as Captain Hook and several other adult actors and and Tony, Tony give me a name. Jay? Richardson? Tony J, Tony J? And Tony kept coming to me saying, he's doing it wrong. I should hook. He's the wrong hook for this. I should be hook. And I said, Tony, it's been cast. We've already done 30 of these or 40 of these. You keep coming back to me after every (laughs) show. Tim couldn't be more brilliant, couldn't be more inventive. And I never had to direct him on anything. I just said, you go. I mean, he just was fabulous. I had a lot of kids to do and I had several other adults all in the room at Buzzies in one room in one, wow. in one and as Sue says I had I had a, a French producer behind me and and a and a French executive whispering in my ear through the whole thing what they wanted and I finally finally put it on mute and I turned around and I said let me direct this and when I'm finished we will come down I'll come back and do pickups but now leave me alone mm. and Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, look at each, other. Yeah. Oh, look yeah. at each other. And I said, just leave me alone because I'm really angry now. And you don't want me angry while I'm directing. And the guy went, and <laughs> stopped moving. He didn't say a word. And I continued because I had these kids that were just, they wanted to get out. And they wanted, to, they, were, they, were, they were the the, the kids in, on the island. And Jason was wonderful. And Debbie Derryberry was, uh, I think, Peter Bell. And Tim, I don't want to waste anybody's time. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you, and Tony kept coming back and he kept saying, I can do, I know I'm a much better hook than this. Oh my god. Oh
6: uh, it's so embarrassing. He even, god bless Tony. his soul. Uh,
2: would do that with me. Oh He'll no. Stuff. Oh yes, he'd go. I don't like that villain.
4: Oh my God. Wow. They,
2: they replace him and I should have a shot at it. What do you think, Susan? Oh, his cigarette, his big white mushroom. <laughs> I and he love had that, Tony, but and he oh, had that great huh? voice.
1: And he had that great voice. And yes, he probably could have done hook. But Tim was brilliant, and he won an, he won a, he won an Emmy for it. He won an Emmy for his performance yeah. in in wow. in, uh, in that show in uh, uh, Peter Pan. But I have to tell you, it was like it was it was worse than herding cats because there was so many in one room, and there was <laughs> so and the kids were great, but you had to keep them quiet because they only had one booth. I, whatever it was we were doing, that's how they started it, and they called me in because the other person wasn't working. And I went up doing, like, 80 of them. But I got to tell you, that was... And you, you only went, only because I was an actor was I able, like Sue, to be able to see... Because Sue and I worked together on... Uh,
4: exactly.
1: We the, the, the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Together. Yep. So when you're working with actors, you've got to calm them down. You've got yeah, to- You guys are all stars. And, <laughs> and I was working with some wonderful people, wonderful actors who were <laughs> with us, one of which was Tony Jay. But I got to say, that was... Uh, that was a, that was a killer, and and thank you, Greg, for for the for the compliments. But my pleasure. That's a that's a that's a killer, and I always say whenever I work with, and whenever I have, because I'm not doing that much anymore. But when I've worked with, I go whatever they want, whatever they need. I'm here. I showed up. Just tell me what to do, I'll be good. Tell me
0: what to do. So it sounds like it's a, it was a good thing that Tony J wasn't in the studio with Wally and just kind of leaning over him. It's just like, oh no, I God. really should be that planet. You
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I should be. Get rid of Orson Wills. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, no, he was really
2: funny.
4: Just That's hilarious. hilarious. Oh, and a fantastic talent. But if it's cast, it's cast. Yeah.
0: So, so, I, so, I just, so I just have a couple more questions for, every, for everyone here. But I'm curious to know, like, what was everyone's initial take on the movie when it was all finished, when you got to see it on the big screen? If you got to see it on the big screen. Sue, let's start with you.
2: Well, it was the first, it was the first film that came out as a film that I was in. So it was really exciting for me. But you're right. I remember that, that
6: <clears throat>
2: the world was full of just these blockbuster movies, and it did get kind of lost yeah. in, the, in the shuffle. But I was really, I just remember being very excited. The dementia is kicking in right now. So. <laughs> oh <my.
6: laughs>
2: but I remember being incredibly excited and just uh, thrilled that I was a part of this uh, thing. And i And like Neil said, I had no idea it was going to turn out to be what it was. I was at in Rhode Island uh, a year ago or two years ago for them at this convention and and uh, wow it, it was unbelievable.
0: It's
3: big. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Victor, what about you?
3: Well, I the first time I saw it, I, the first thing that really well, of course, like Sue said, like, like, you know, the, the first thing, the first thing you hear is in the year 2005 the Autobots, and, and I thought, oh my shit, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my <God>. That's me. Uh, you know, once you get past that, the the the, the, the graphics at the right. time. Now you look at it now and compared to the CGI we have now, it's kind of pales in comparison. But at the time, in in '86, whenever it was, '86, uh, yeah, yeah, were were amazing because they actually had camera angles, yeah, on the yeah. graphics. And here comes you know here comes Megatron, this big gigantic thing, comes, and then all of a sudden these things would. Would suddenly transform into something else. <laughs> uh, holy shit! This is this is this is quite remarkable. Yeah. I did think that a, a, a lot of the colors were kind of the same. There was a lot of red, as I recall. Now again, I'm I'm thinking way back now because I, I haven't seen the movie since I saw it first first came out. I seem to remember there was an awful lot of red in the movie, and they could have maybe used a, 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 a wider Color palette, mm-hmm. but I just thought that the animation was really quite remarkable. Yeah, uh,
6: it, it still just- is.
0: I, I have to say, like that's that that movie looks absolutely fabulous. And thirty five years later, for me, the, as a fan, like the the animation just holds up so well. But I mean, like, granted, you, to say I'm biased is a bit of an understatement. Because like, but uh, but yeah, I absolutely I, I I love it. Like I love how it looks and everything. I love how it feels. I love how it sounds. And yeah, just the fact that the fact that we're, it's still it's still here. It's 35 years later. It's still here. And uh, so, Greg, what were your thoughts when you first saw it? Because you got there was a lot for for Grimlock to do uh, during during this during this movie.
4: Not only did Grimlock have a lot to do and hopefully do it uh, very effectively and well, but uh, I was gifted with so many catchphrases mm-hmm. in the, in the animated feature that they honestly, I still ride the, the, way, the wave of, of people's love for all of those utterances that, that sort of define the character, but also enhance the comedy. Back to the very beginning, beginning, you, you, all of us in those days, I think, I mean, I, I don't know anybody who's, who's jaded beyond a point of some idealism. It's a movie and you're in it and mm-hmm. it's distributed and it's in theaters. And yeah. then at, at a screening, I saw people were not only cheering and throwing popcorn like a communal <laughs> experience, they were repeating lines like Rocky Horror. Oh, my uh, God. I, really? I, I, wow. I just, uh, and many of them were mine. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and I just thought something's going on here. It's, wow. it, we, we made X, but this is becoming bigger than X rapidly.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
4: and so it has.
0: Anyway, yep. that's, that's me. Neil, since, since catchphrases were mentioned, uh, what yeah. was your initial thought when you first saw, saw the film?
5: Well, that, that's my most vivid memory is my catchphrase, which I didn't realize was a catchphrase till it happened. But I went to the premiere, which was at a lovely theater in Westwood and uh, a lot of kids and uh, the place was packed and a lot of energy. And Springer says the line, I've got better things to do tonight than die. And the whole place went nuts, yelling, screaming. You couldn't hear the next 30 seconds worth of dialogue because everybody was <laughs> yelling so loudly. And I, th- that is such a thrill to see the reaction to something that you did, a big reaction like that. And I, to this day, like Greg, people ask me to do that line for them. And I'm more than happy to oblige. That's my, my my main memory is is that moment.
0: Excellent. Mike, what were your thoughts when when well, you first saw the movie?
1: I have to admit, I didn't see the movie until 30 years later, 25, 30 years later. Oh, wow. Didn't see it. And if you ask me for to repeat a memorable line, all I can do is go, ah. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't think anybody laughed or applauded <laughs> or cheered or I have no idea what went on in the audience or anybody cried. I know I know there are Marines that come up and he say, Man, I'm, at conventions. I mean, I really fell apart when Proud died. I said, I'm sorry. How can I say to that?
6: I and, mm-hmm.
1: you know, and, and he said I really, really felt terrible. And because Proud was this cop and he was, you know, he was I joined the Marines because of you. I Didn't kill anybody and yell my name, did you? because <laughs> <laughs> i died remember i died so that's given you a clue before you yell anything that prowl said because all he said was and he died <laughs> so i really had and again my memory is from 25 years later and i loved it it was great love the music music was
6: oh kick yeah ass.
1: absolutely kick ass and kept searching for whatever swoop had to say which was negligible one or two lines and that was it and then say, so everybody talk about Prowl. It must have been from the series, because when you go to the conventions, they love your character. Oh, I loved your character. Yeah, I'm sure you said the same thing to Greg Berger. Yeah, you said the same thing <laughs> to Neil. I loved your character. That was my, yeah, bullshit. Yeah, just give me a paper and I'll sign the thing. I don't know what they saw from me in the movie. As I said, there was not much for me to do. And, and they, they took their cue and decided to kill me in G.I. Joe as well. So I'm the actor <laughs> that they want to kill.
0: Well, thankfully, they just put you in a coma again <clears throat> in, for in G.I. Joe, the movie, but <laughs> second coma. So, <laughs> Mike, so, since we're on you, I'm curious to know, like, what the what would be basically like my final question of all of this um, is it's been 35 years, it's been three and a half decades. What do you what do you see about Transformers, the movie itself? Granted, like, I know you've only seen it like about 10 years ago or so, but you've also seen it during this period where it is far surpassed anything else that was out around that time. Gobot's Battle of the Rock Lords had come and gone before the movie came out. And this was, the, if, if it wasn't PG, if it didn't do the steps that it did, granted like everyone looks at, at the death of Optimus Prime as a real low, but with everything that was done, every, every move in that movie, I, I say, you know, like from start to finish, it's full out ballsy because everything that was done, you could not do in movies these days. You could not take your iconic character and in an animated scene and everything and give him this traumatic death scene. But at the same time, like that is part of, in my view, a big reason why the movie endures to this day. But I'm curious to get everyone's, everyone's thoughts on the legacy of this movie after 35 years. Michael, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I'm surprised. I have to be honest with you. I am surprised that um, 35 years later that people still recognize this, that they brought their kids up on the movie, saying that their kids love the movie. Kids today have seen so many advanced ways of making an animated film. So many with with the, the concepts that they're introducing now in film and you go, wow, that's really amazing. Wow, that looks so real. And how did they do that? That they're still caught up in the concept and in the, the color, the music, the, the characters. And, yeah. and Neil can testify to this. And, and I'm sure that Sue and Greg can, can say that when people come up and they say, I'm teaching my kid, my kid now loves the movie. I showed my kid the movie and I'm showing my kid the series. And they love it. And it, it, to me, it's a phenomenon. I, I think it's a phenomenon. It, it really is. And I'm thrilled that we're all part As I said, I, I get my dolls in the mail people, <laughs> they still say I have I have more pictures that I have backed away. That I thought, what am I going to do with all these drawings? This is my concept, and and, and they, they obviously they just capture the imagination. He's got they, stuff. I, had, I yeah, got anything yeah. with it. You, know, you just you just uh, you love it, and they're fortunate. And unfortunately, they weren't smart enough. on it. this uh, this is my feeling that Michael Bay wasn't smart enough to continue with those characters in his live action. Yeah. I thought it was really a, But uh,
3: did you guys get called? To the to the uh, I'm sure I know, I know, I know, I'm Peter. sure Frank, my, my Frank agent Peter. was called and Frank he called Peter me, Peter was, yeah, yeah, and they, they they made an absolutely insulting offer, an insulting offer, like, like I was some new kid on the block. Wow, wow. and my wow. agent mm-hmm. said, My agent said, Vic, this is ridiculous.
4: Shame he on said, that.
3: I just, yeah. I just think this is, this has got to be turned down, and I said, Yeah, Stephen, it just, we just, we can't do this. Well,
1: I spoke, to, I spoke to the to, to uh, Michael Bay's assistant. I had called over there and said, I hear you doing this film. It's the first one. And I said, I don't know if you're going to be using the original voices. Um, I know it's a long time. I said, our asses have dropped, but our voices are pretty much the same. <laughs> <laughs> so and he laughed and he said oh mike i'm a fan and i'm a fan of all you guys i was raised and all that blah blah books, bullshit, bullshit bullshit and i said great so do you think you'll be he said i don't know i'm not sure we're gonna have all those characters in the film the way it's going now and i said well then let me make a second suggestion since we're all actors why don't you hire us as background so that Greg would be the old man sitting on a bench saying, what the hell is that?
6: You know, what sit- the hell is
1: that? Hey, he got it ready. <laughs> and then Neil can be the reporter talking about it, et cetera. So every, and the, and your fans would know. I said, as soon as the gal who, who runs in, the secretary runs in and says, there's something out there, Maya, look at that. And she screams and yells and gets stopped. Whatever it is, we're all around. So how about that? And then you can list people in the street and the old man, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. That's and it break be genius. great for fans. And he said, no, we're not going to do that.
4: Yeah, <laughs> so, but you're going to use background <laughs> anyway.
1: Why don't you use us? Pay us the background mm. you, which is not allowed. Hey, pay us. Things. There's and an there. app, and it's a good, it's a good piece of PR. Yeah. We may not yeah. be not going to be mm. our characters because obviously yeah. some big, obviously some major super names will sound nothing like us. But that's okay. That's your choice. But put us in there. And he said, mm, I don't think so. But anyway, Mike, thanks very much for the mm. call. And uh, who gave you this
0: number?
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> George, I, I have to I have to run out. I have a, your appointment.
0: Oh yeah, yes. Yeah, so so uh, can I can I ask you then real quick your thoughts on on the legacy before we let you go? Well, I, I was I was very surprised.
3: I did not realize that there was a legacy mm-hmm. until Google came out. Yeah. I know what year that was, and I googled my name. And I saw all this stuff about the amazing narrator, all this stuff of, about, about me and and Transformers. And and because I'd done a, a, a great deal of work in, in, in New York, a tremendous amount of work in, in New York before I ever did Transformers. Yeah. And, and to me, it, it was, it was just, it was a job. It was just a job. I did the commercials, I did the movie. I mean, it was just a job, and they paid me for it, and everything's fine. It was all union and everything, everything's fine. But I all of a sudden I thought, wait a minute, what, why, why is, why is that movie? And to this day, I don't get it. Yeah. I, I don't understand why, why it grabbed people. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't. Now I'm on the older side. I, when I saw the movie, hell when I did the movie, I was in my 40s, And so I, I just, I'm, I'm glad that it did because it's, it's just wonderful to be a part of this, of this amazing uh, piece of work that's, yeah. that survived all this time. But I, I, I don't understand why this movie grabbed all these people, because I didn't, again, I was in my 40s. I was not a young person seeing this movie when I saw it for the first time.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: I did not think it was, I thought, okay, it's, it's clever. It's a clever movie. It's got some really neat graphics in it and all that. But I didn't think it was going to become a cult movie. Right. Uh, I didn't. And I, and I was quite surprised, again, when I Googled my name and found out that, oh, my God, we're all just cult. Everybody else's name was mentioned. They're not just me. But, oh, and then there was, and there, was, and there was Michael Bell and it was Greg and it was all these other people. And so everybody, everybody's names show, would show up in my stream here about other people. And I thought, wow okay and i started getting snail mail fan letters and i thought whoa <laughs> hey, really okay so no one was more surprised than i was to find out that this movie became a cult class and, and surprised and happy by the way very very pleased right that it, but i i i was just i i don't understand to this day why why it was i can't tell you that all these years i've wondered who are these people? I've known your names. I've seen your names. I've said your names. I've said all your character names over all these years. And now I get to meet at least you guys. I haven't met all of you because all of us aren't here.
4: It's about so time, Victor. I know. Yes. It's about time. Yeah.
3: So thank you all. All right. All, right. all right. Thanks, everybody. Maybe we'll all hook up again sometime. We thank will. You so, thank you so okay. much,
0: Victor. Cheers. I'll, I'll Thanks, let you Thanks, know. guys. I'll okay, be in bye-bye. Touch- bye-bye. Bye,
5: Victor. All the best, Victor. Lovely to meet
0: you. Thanks. Now, Sue, to kind of add on on to the legacy, what were your thoughts overall?
2: Well, it's really what everybody's been saying. It's a phenomenon. I was called when I went to Rhode Island, I I think it was two years ago, and they put me in the Hall of Fame. And I went, what? Wow. Yeah. RC was the first year, and then they inducted me into it um, the next year. And man, I was so flattered and my head couldn't get out the door. It was so big. Yeah, for that moment. And Frank Walker came and Peter Cullen and they introduced me. And it was really, I mean, I just thought personally, it really meant a lot to me. And I was really humbled and I was a big shot for a minute. And it, it was and I'm not a big shot. And it was just really nice for that, for that to have happened. And it would not have happened. Uh, uh, it would not have happened unless Transformers had become what it became yeah. 35 years. So that's my, that's my personal feeling about it.
0: And Neil, what are your thoughts?
5: Well, Transformers is probably the most revered and remembered show I ever got to work on, G.I. Joe maybe coming in uh, second. Mm-hmm. And I've thought about it a lot. A couple of things occurred. Human beings love to anthropomorphize. When you're a little child, you love talking bears and talking elephants. You get a little older, and the, the concept of a, a robot having human emotions and, and is somehow strangely compelling to us. I don't know why. I think that was a big part of it. I like what you said about uh, some of the grittier parts of the movie. I I, I think when they were 11, 12 years old, they weren't quite prepared for it. But as they got older and more sophisticated and more able to deal with uh, complex ideas like death, that's kind of complex. They rediscovered the movie and it had actually what happened, gave it more gravitas than if it had just been a light uh, fluff piece. Yeah. The only other thing, and I, I say this about the whole series, not just the movie, people said, "Ah, oh, this is nothing but a half-hour toy commercial. If that's all it was, we wouldn't be here today talking about it. Uh, and we ended up creating something very special without perhaps even realizing we were doing it at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's my take when fans ask, why, why this show and why not the others? Very grateful to have been part of it.
0: Speaking for all the fans... As our we for all of you for neil, all of you involved. Neil, yeah. you said
1: neil, you said the same thing about kissy fur <laughs>
4: <laughs> greg what I are your thoughts I oh i have many but i don't think it can be said better than neil just said it i i just need to add to that list of of collaborators which we were we were all colleagues and and you you can't intentionally hire good writers, bad writers. Good, at, you it. There's some sort of X factor to the success of this, and it has to do with the perfect storm of hiring Flint, hiring Ron, all of us. But the element I wanted to add was music. Vince DiCola yes. and Stan Bush are branded to this series. The the, the feature that in so many ways, so many ways that define it. Give it a little time capsule feel, but also Stan Bush writes anthemic like nobody, and so does Vince. Yeah. And and it gave a grandness to to the venture. Like I said when I was saying about reading a a movie script for the first time, it made it bigger than a small screen. It was big. Sound, sound was big, animation was big, everything was big, and just the factor that no one can account for. I've been around for quite some time as have my, my friends on the panel here. And you see great product that never resonates, doesn't get embraced, doesn't get, I'll give you one that, that Sue directed me in called Toxic Crusaders. Honestly, oh yeah. That that show should still be on today, 35 years later. It, it yeah. was that good. Yes, I'm not lying, but, yeah. but all, all the more reason when something is embraced, is held close by a loyal fandom and a growing fandom who introduces themselves to us at conventions with their children, sometimes their grandchildren.
0: And sometimes
4: in a book. The, <laughs> exactly, all yeah. that and more. Yeah. Without without knowing what we were doing, we were doing something. And I'm, I'm putting Wally Burr straight back in and those big story Boards. he knew the show that he wanted to make and he wasn't going to accept anything less. That created frustrations, but it also created something, look at the result, look at the longevity, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I celebrate it.
0: Yeah, and as a fan, I celebrate all of you. I, I can't think of a better way to celebrate 100 episodes of this show. I can't think of a better way to really bring in this miniseries that has gone so far above and beyond expectations that I can't even I can't even fathom what 10 year old me would have imagined if I had come up to him and just say in 35 years, you're going to be talking to her. You're going to be talking to him and him, too. And him, you're going to be talking to the writers. You're going to be talking to the music composer. It's all going to be on these podcasts. And I know the 10 year old kid would have turned and just said, what's a podcast? And I don't believe you. There's no way that can happen but it has happened. And my heart is just absolutely full of gratitude for everyone who has been a part of this, for all of you who have taken the time to come here and tell your thoughts about this this movie. And Neil, you said it the best. If this was just a, a toy commercial, this would not have endured, but it has. And I am just so absolutely thrilled that all of you have been able to take the time to be here. Having Victor, having Susan, and having Greg back in a future episodes, so we can further talk about all of this. I am I, I'm just f- flooded with gratitude for this. Good on, and, good yeah. on you, George. And th- and thank you, George. And thank you. And so for Susan Blue, for Greg Berger, for Neil Ross, for Michael Bell, for Victor Caroli. This is George Saroy saying to all of you ever upward and i will see you next week for part three where we're going to be talking to vince DiCola. we'll see you then till all are one thank you for listening to the excelsior journeys miniseries celebrating the 35th anniversary of transformers the movie thank you for donating to the hole in the wall gang camp thank you zach comtois for providing the intro and outro to this miniseries For more information about Excelsior Journeys, please go to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts.